Mark chapter 2, it says, uh, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, this is a few days after Jesus had just healed that leper. Do you remember that story we just went through last week? And if you remember that, instead of obeying Jesus, what did the guy do? Jesus told him to do what? Go to the priests. And that's the testimony I want you to give to the priests. But he went ahead and disobeyed and did whatever he wanted to do because his emotions were overjoyed and they were controlling his life. And boy, how dangerous it is for us, even if our intentions are good, to let our emotions uh, direct our lives instead of what God has specifically told us to do. How do we find out what God's told us to do? Right there. And, you know, while our emotions, like this man's, you just got healed. Yes! I've been so, you know, wounded by this. You know, and me and my body having, you know, had whatever I've had for so many years. You know, and I've got pain medication and I'm trying to function every day. And it's just like if suddenly this were lifted off my, my body, I just would freak out. And if Jesus said, don't tell anybody, but I want you to go to the priests and tell them, you know, this and that, I'd be like, are you kidding me? You know, and I, my, my emotions would just say, hey, everybody, this guy Jesus healed me. Isn't it cool? Wouldn't that seem like the normal right thing to do? But no, Jesus said, don't do that. Don't tell anyone. Go to the priests. And instead of going to the priests, he told the people. And what happened? As the testimony went to the people, and when the people found out before the priests, the priests with their egos, what happened? They're going, hey, we know what the law says in Leviticus. Leviticus says that if you have leprosy and you're cleansed, you're to come to the priest, me, and I'm to come look at you, inspect you, and make sure that you're okay. But he went straight to the people. This guy, Jesus, why didn't he send him to me? He's not obeying the law. Therefore, he must be what? Yeah, he must not be of God. And so therefore, what happened? It says there as a result that instead as a result Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places our disobedience can hinder the work of God it can it can change what God had intended but notice that God is also sovereign look in the next place yet the people still came to him from everywhere a little bit more difficult of a situation, but st- people still flocked to him. Even way out in the wilderness, they still came to him. They found out where he was and they came after him. And so the lesson to us, obviously, is we go by the word of God and not by our emotions. Emotions can be good and they're valid and we should express them, but they need to be subject to, to the word of God. And therefore, we need to know what the word of God is. So Jesus entered Capernaum again. And uh, which was Peter's hometown, which became his hub of the Galilean ministry, as recorded in Matthew 4.13, uh, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. I don't have time to get into that right now. But the people heard that he had come home, and so many gathered there, and there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And so men came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him, Jesus Uh, to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening on the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on it. They lowered it down to Jesus. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, a few things uh, of importance to notice here. First is that there were many people there. It was standing room only, very crowded, very crowded situation. And what did Jesus do when he had that captive audience with all these needs pressing upon him? Did he heal them all right there and do all that stuff? Was he doing a magic show? No, he preached the word to them. It's something very important to us, no matter what kind of audience we have captive, in word and in deed, we should always be preaching the word to them, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, quite often we get caught up on the needs of people. How many of you are surrounded with people who are very needy? You know, I, I look at people like Mother Teresa, and that just blows me away, a life that's absolutely consecrated to the Lord, and she went out and lived her whole life among just destitute people, just people who are just, I mean, have you, any of you actually been to India or the third world and seen what it's like? Boy, we got to take a mission trip. We do. Because we live in Disneyland. We absolutely live in Disneyland. It is horrific. Little kids living in raw sewage, going through dumps to find their food. I mean, literally, that's how they live their lives. Flies covering them. You know, I've been to these situations like in the Philippines and such where you have a, a five-story mall and then one block later you've got raw sewage and little kids playing it and all that stuff. It's just insane. It's insane. But at the same time, we can look at this overwhelming need and minister to their physical needs but never reach their spirit. Never reach their spirit. Yes, we need to minister because Jesus said, hey, you know, if someone is in need, and, and you don't do anything for them, what is that? That's not what I've called you to do. If you see someone's hurting, help them. At the same time, don't, never shy away from giving them the truth, the gospel. And I find it easier if I'm up front with them and saying, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and the reason why I'm helping you is because I believe he's the answer in your life, and I want to help you with your needs. Just right up front. So that they know what my motives are. I'm not trying to be sneaky. It's all about Jesus. And I find out if I'm straightforward and I'm honest, they respect that. And they also, they need things. And so they're more willing to receive it. And so anyways, but Jesus, when he had the captive audience with all these people who were hurting, what happened? He preached the word to me, gave him the message, because that's the message they need. The body can die and the soul can go to hell. That's the reality. They have to be saved. They have to hear the gospel and believe upon Jesus Christ. Or else you can, you can take care of all their physical needs forever. You know, what good is it if a man prof, you know, gathers the whole world, you know, but he loses his soul? So we've got to think in these terms as we're, as we're looking at the world around us. Give them Jesus, but yes, meet their physical needs too. That's, that's part of our religion being acted out. It's part of faith being acted out in people. Is an expression of God's love. But here, he preached the word to him, the message of the kingdom of God. This was priority, and it should be ours as well. And, at, and as this amazing message was being preached, there was an interruption. Four men digging through the thatched roof and lowered a paralytic man down before him. How far, and this is the question I wrote down for me, how far are you willing to go to bring your friends in need to Jesus? Are you willing to overcome obstacles? 
physical and otherwise. There's standing room only. There's discouragement. Better go home. There's no way I can get to this guy. Are you willing to risk embarrassment? How embarrassing would that be? To tear open someone's roof you don't even know and lower a guy through it. And everybody's going, what are you doing? can't do that. This is Jesus. You know? <laughs> like, we got tickets for this thing. We've been waiting a week. <laughs> you know? Are, will, are you willing to risk embarrassment? You know, look at these fools interrupting Jesus. Look at these guys with their silly contraption lowering this guy down in front of Jesus. How far are you willing to go? And if not, why? That's the question I ask myself. If not, if I'm not willing to go all out, why not? Verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I think at times perhaps our faith in Christ is deflated. Perhaps, you know, we're just, we're just not built up in Christ and our eye isn't on the prize. It might be on other things. You know, faith, yeah, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. Your faith is built up by being and hearing the word of God, by being around other brothers and sisters that they speak the truth to you. That's how we're built up in our faith. We feel encouraged. That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship the Lord and to hear from His Word. Me too. That we gather together and as we hear, we go, yes, and you walk out going, okay, He's with me. Here we go. But that isn't just supposed to be on Sunday. That's like eating on Sunday and then fasting the whole week and then eating on Sunday and fasting the whole week. That's not good for us. What happened to the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? How about just once, you know, changing you know, the, uh, the rock station in your car to a praise station for just a week and see how your life changes. How about changing the talk radio to, uh, you know, pop in some, some messages on, on CD from, your, you know, your fra- favorite teacher or something like that, just to, just to see how it affects your life and how you're looking at things maybe a little bit differently. Instead of watching that TV show, perhaps we fast from that for a week. Not that we become, you know, crazy, but just see what we're putting in our lives it affects us. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And bet- by the way, that's between you and your God. I'm just encouraging you because I know the way it works in my life. When I put a little bit more of the world in the way, less of Jesus shines through. How about you? Yeah. And then when I come around that other person in need, I'm not so willing to reach out because I'm feeling like I'm not really connected and I don't have power. But when that's out of the way and I'm feeling the Lord is flowing through me, boy, my heart just wants to go to that person. You ever notice that in your life? Oh, is it just me? All right, just me. We're good. <laughs> Let's move on. <clears throat> but when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, sons are forgiven. It was their faith, their faith, that caused God to act on behalf of this paralytic. That's interesting, isn't it? It was their faith. Step out in faith. Bring people to Jesus. Pray for them. Get involved. Go for it. You have a, a relative who's hurting for Jesus. What do you have to lose? Face? Now do you think you're weird? <laughs> There's already crazy family dynamics. You know? Go for it. Bring him Jesus. Pray about how that could happen. It might not be a full-on frontal assault. It might be just 
partnering with them in an event for a season. And, you know, I mean, whatever the Lord has for you. Are you willing to go all out? Notice Jesus said to the man next, he said, your sins are forgiven. No, Jesus, <laughs> that is not what needs to happen here, I would say. You know, here's this guy getting lowered through. Hey, your sins are forgiven. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the, uh, you know, the guy jumping off the thing and doing dance. That's what we're looking for. Why are you, why are you saying your sins are forgiven? You know, come on, Jesus, get it right. You know, quite often we really don't know what others need, but Jesus does. Bring people to Jesus. Give them the word of God. Pray for them. Point them towards the word. Jesus knows what they need. Jesus knows. You know, have you ever looked at a person so messed up? You're going, I have no idea how they're going to fix this. I was one of those people that was so messed up and still am to a degree. (laughs) And the Lord, he knows how to work in my life. He's the master uh, discipler. And he knows what pain to allow in my life to change my motives. He knows what grace I need. He knows what, uh, how my motives work and all these things. And he's been faithful over the years to teach me and disciple me and to form me into a follower of him. And he will do that until the day I die. Bring them to Jesus. He knows what they need. He'll work out the details in their life. And in the case of this paralytic, the paralysis was caused by what? His paralysis was caused by what? Sin. And, you know, it's thought by many conservative scholars that this man had an advanced case of an STD. And uh, we don't have time to go into all that right now, but I don't know, but... People much more, you know, educated and studious than I, that's, that's what they've come to, the conclusion that it was probably an STD and it had been an advanced case and obviously no antibiotics and stuff, and he's done. His sin had got him. Again, that's speculation. But whatever the situation, it was sin that caused his body to reflect the state of his soul. You know, when Adam died, when Jesus said, uh, when, well, when the Father said, you know, in the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. Did he physically die? No, but what happened? He died. And then it took a process for the outside to catch up with what was happening with the soul. And we're all on that track together. And so this man, his sin caught up with him. And sin paralyzes our lives. And some of us think because we're getting away with something, some think because there's no consequence immediately in our life, you know, that, hey, I must be fine. Just give it some time. Just give it some time. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And that's scary. So that makes me go, mercy. I need your mercy, Lord. Have mercy upon me, God. And you know what God loves to give? His mercy. He is merciful. That's who he is. How merciful How much mercy do you need in your life? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve in the positive. I need a lot of mercy in my life. But it causes death. Sin causes death. And how we need friends, true friends, willing to look past our faults, our failures, you know, to put us on a mat and drag us across down and rip open a 
thing and be an embarrassing situation for us to go all out for us. How many of you need those type of people in your lives? I do. I need people to see past my failures and to go, you know what? This guy's redeemable because God's in the recycling business. You know, I need that. And we need to be those people for other people, the people who would say, you know what? This person's all messed up, but God sees value in them. Let's go. Put them on the mat, put them in the car, bring them over, open the roof, lower them in. (laughs) Let Jesus do the deal. Amen? Amen. That's what I'm looking for. Jesus, son, your sins are forgiven. How helpless we are, but by the grace of God, we go. Amen? I would say that. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And although their attitudes were quite wrong, their theology was right. Their attitudes were wrong, but their theology was right. Only God can forgive sins. Now, he gives us authority to forgive sins, but he's the author of forgiveness. He's the author of forgiveness. Only God forgives sins. Ultimately, he's the one whose laws we have broken. And he's the one who ultimately has been sinned against. And then what happens? He's the one who has to forgive. As you read in Psalm 51, when King David... um, Remember, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he, caused, uh, and he caused Uriah, her husband, to go out in the front lines so he would die, knowing this. So he caused murder and adultery. How does that line up for being a king? And he cries out, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. This is after he was exposed by Nathan the prophet. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David knew who he sinned against. Yes, he sinned against his brother and sister, but ultimately it was towards God. Because God's command is to love one another and love him. And he broke it. He broke it. Boy, although he sinned against people, David says, against you, and you only have I sinned. And so these teachers of the law were right there, right? Right on the spot. Only God can forgive sin. You know, and they were right that Jesus would be committing blasphemy, uh, blasphemy unless he was the one who could forgive sins. Then they got themselves into trouble, right? <laughs> Immediately, uh, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Oh, wouldn't that be freaky? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now notice, Jesus is reading their hearts. He can see into the hearts of men. Jesus operating in the fullness of the Spirit is operating in one of the gifts that Paul describes here, the word of knowledge. He knows what's going on in their heart. There's no way he could have known that. But being full of the Holy Spirit, receiving the information from God. He knew what was going on. And he asked them a simple question. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mountain walk? So church, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven. It's a lot easier to say, get up, because if I say, you know, get up and walk, and you don't get up and walk, then what happens? I'm in trouble. Right? And so if I say, get up and take your mountain walk, and you don't do it, 
these guys are going to stone me. These guys are going to, he's blaspheming. But that you may know, verse 10, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And when God speaks, it happens. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. When Jesus said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven, what happened? His sins were forgiven. Why? Because he, he said it. Because he spoke it. And again, I keep trying to nail this every single week. When Jesus speaks, it happens. Why is that? Because he is God. You and I, you know, you know, stand up and do a backflip, you know? No. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Or, or, you know, hey, the weather's going to be sunny and, you know, for the next two months. Not going to happen. But he speaks, it happens. He has authority. And he, Jesus is saying, so that you know that I have authority. Verse 12, and he got up and took his mat and he walked out in full view of all of them and it amazed everyone. Only God can forgive sins. And guess who just forgave that man's sins? The Lord of forgiveness. And I would encourage you that there's no sin too great or too small that the Lord Jesus and his blood cannot forgive and cleanse. And he is willing. Ask him. He's willing to cleanse, willing to forgive. You know, quite often when we ask for forgiveness in our hearts, we find out that we don't have a physical reaction. And so therefore, we assume something spiritual didn't happen. Correct? Because we deal with the realm of emotion. We deal with the realm of, let me see you, the proof is in the pudding. Instead of what God says happens. How many of you operate like that? I want to feel it, and I want to see it, like Thomas. Unless I see his wounds in his hands, unless I touch him, then I'm not going to believe squat. Well, this is what the Lord says in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ready? Notice our job is to do what? If you confess... God, what you say about me is right. I messed up. I've sinned in this way against you. And you tell him what it is. Lord, I've committed this sin before you, and this is the way I did it. And you say it just straight out, as embarrassing as possible, to the Lord. Just get it out there. And notice God's job. God's job is to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's his job. Is he pretty good at that? Yeah. So whether you feel it or not in your heart, it happened because that's what he said would happen. That's important because how many of us are walking around with guilt that we don't need to have? If he is able to forgive our sins, what are we doing carrying that guilt and that burden? We shouldn't. We should be the most happy, backflipping people you've ever met. He's forgiven me. Why? Because he said he would. And that's what everything is based upon, friends. Everything is based upon what he says. And what is the very first thing the enemy attacks? Did God really say, if you eat this, 
That's the first thing he attacks. He tries, to, he tries to attack the credibility of God's word. And scholars throughout the ages keep, oh, he didn't really write it. He didn't really mean this. Didn't he? Are you kidding me? And then someone digs up the Dead Sea Scrolls and you find out, oh, wow, it's exactly how it was a thousand years before and nothing was changed. Well, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. That's why they had scribes. That's why these guys were super critical about how everything... Did you know when they copied the scriptures, the scribes in the Old Testament, that if they messed up they, and they got, like, say, to the 56th chapter of Isaiah, and they messed up, they burned the whole thing, and they go back and they start over? Because it had to be exact. That's the way they were. Crazy. But why did God allow them to be crazy? So that we get exactly what he intended And here we are. Don't let the enemy or some fool come into your life and say, oh, the the Bible, you know, it's it's not really what it was and all this stuff. You know what? You know, what was your college professor smoking when he learned that? (laughs) Seriously. And I love to just sit down and ask him, oh, and why did you believe that? And then they go, well, because of this. And why do you believe that? Oh, well, because it turns out that someone else told him that. Okay, well, there we have it. I can, I can, I can respect that, but that's, you don't, that's not very deep. Have you read the Bible? Well, yes. Okay, how much of the Bible? And you find out, okay, a little, the only parts that they want to find out to criticize. They haven't read the Bible. They haven't read it all the way through. They don't understand what's going on. And they get into the Greek. It's just amazing how God, time and time again, and not even, and if you just want to get off the Orthodox paths and you want to go a little bit deeper and you get into things like Bible codes, <laughs> and I don't even want to get into that, but that's a whole new world. And layer upon layer upon layer, this thing is true. No matter how you, how you angle it. Yes. There are some words that are kind of hard to translate. Like I said, the word love in Greek has four different words, three in the Bible. And it's hard to translate that one word, you know, each one of these words. We just have one word for it in English. So therefore, do we lose some of the meaning? Yes, we do. That's why we have people who study Greek and they find out, oh, and they put it in your footnotes in your Bible. And you go, oh, he's saying, do I agape you? You know, oh, I only phileo you. I only love you like a brother. And it brings out the little bit more depth. But do you get the idea that he's asking him three times, do you love me? Yes, you get the idea. Now, what kind of love they're talking about is a little bit different. That brings you a little more depth. Trust in the word. Trust wholeheartedly. Put all of your life upon what he says. Don't let the enemy or anybody else come and take it out. Because then you don't have a foundation to stand upon. And our nation doesn't have a foundation to stand upon. You've taken out the, the thing which it was built upon, and what do you base laws upon now? You've deconstructed the whole society. Therefore, I can go to one judge in California, and, and, and when 98, or 67% of the people says marriage is this way. And then one judge says, no, it's not. Because there's no foundation, there's no meta-narrative, there's no overarching truth for the society anymore. It's been deconstructed. It's been taken away. Don't let them take away. Don't let the enemy come and pull the word of God out of your life. Guard it and protect it. I have to end there, because 
we'll go too long. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that when you say it, it happens. I'm thankful that when you speak, when you spoke to this man and you told him his sins were forgiven, they were forgiven. And Lord, I'm thankful you told this man to get up and walk as a testimony to your power. And he got up and walked. And Jesus, you are God in the flesh. And your name means God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Lord, we need you to save us. We needed you to protect us, Lord. We need you to fill us with your love. And Father, we ask that your truth, Lord, would be held up in our lives. And Lord, that we be a people not condemning, but full of love, full of compassion for those who are fallen and sinning around us, including ourselves, Lord. We're so weak sometimes. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to drag that person to Jesus, just to to live out that Christian life you call us to. And Lord, will you deal with all the complications? We just need to trust in you, Lord. Help us to have faith in you. Bless this church, Father, today. Guide them this week in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. And this amazed everyone, and they appraised God, right? They praised God. We have never seen anything like this, because they've never seen God standing in their living room. And notice the praise went to God. We want to give God the glory when he does good things in us and through us, amen? Give God the glory. Don't touch it. It's his. Praise and worship him. When good things are going on this week, give him the glory. Say, praise God. Hey, Matt. Oh, great message. Praise the Lord. Matt, horrible message. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen? All right. God bless you guys. Have a great day.